0: Today's scripture is from Matthew chapter 21, verse one till 17. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was written by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, Your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They bought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloak on the road, And others cut branches from the tree and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and brought in the temple. And he overturned the table of money changers and seats those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you made it a din of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw these wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never heard, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praises? And leaving them, he went out to the city, to Bethany, and lodged there. This is the word of God. God. Please be seated. Well, good
1: morning. We're going to start with a little Bible quiz this morning. There's no test at the end or something. But just three questions. First of them up there for you. Who's described as the Prince of Peace? I think that one's pretty straightforward. Answer C. Always answer C on standardized exams anyways. Uh, Jesus. Number two, who first established the city of Jerusalem around 1000 BC? Right, maybe a little harder, but maybe you probably know the answer to that is David. And then the third And final question, did Jesus come to bring peace or a sword of division? The answer to that is a little tricky and a little (laughs) devious on my part. Because on the one hand, we have texts like this, glory to God in the highest of heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests, Luke chapter 2, or Jesus himself saying in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And at the same time, we read something like this from Matthew 10. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. So I think to this question of did Jesus come to bring peace or a sort of division, I think we have to answer both in some sense. And I want you to keep that in mind as we begin to think about our passage for today. Here we are, as Pastor Chad mentioned, on what is traditionally called Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, and Holy Week is the most important week within the most important season of the year that we call Lent. Lent. Back on February 14th this year we began a 40-day time period that we call Lent that leads up to next Sunday. Despite what Amazon and other retailers would have us believe, the most important holiday for Christians is actually not Christmas time, but Easter tide. It's not the shopping season from Black Friday to Christmas Eve, but the 40 days of Ash Wednesday to Resurrection Sunday. And this Holy Week, you see, is the highlight of the highlighted time of this time of the year. So today, we mark, and what should be significant for us, really a significant time of our lives as we head towards the most important Sunday, the most important day of the, of the Christian year, and that's Easter. So it's, impro- it's appropriate, and I asked Pastor Kevin if I could preach this text today, to, to look at the text that actually tells about this last the beginning of this last week of Jesus' own life. Even as it's this holy week for us, it's the beginning of the last week of Jesus' earthly life, his entrance into Jerusalem. And as we've just heard in the story read, uh, our story shows that Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, he's coming into Jerusalem, but the result is anything but peace. There's a lot of tumult, a lot of violence even. So what I wanna do today is simply go back to the story and ask, you know, what's going on here? And especially what is God saying to us uh, this morning. So I, I want to pause and, and pray once more before we do that. Let me pray for us. Our Lord Jesus, who else can we go to? You, you alone have the words of life, and there is no other being in the world to whom is all of our allegiance due, and who is more beautiful and perfect and So we'd ask that you would now do what we can't do for ourselves, which is fill us with understanding and joy and hope and faith. Grant us these things, uh, even as we look at Holy Scripture together. We pray in Jesus' powerful name, amen. So our story for today, our text is a story And it's actually part of a much, much larger story that we call the Gospel of Matthew. And if we were reading through Matthew all the way through, we'd realize that here in chapter one, we are getting to the final stage. This is the end. These eight chapters of chapters 21 through 28, inclusively, this is the end of the story. And in the chapters that lead up to this, Jesus has begun speaking about what's about to happen. He says, we are now going to Jerusalem. And when we go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer and die. And so when we read in verse one of of this text in Matthew 21, if we've been reading all along, we recognize this is not just another normal day. This is the beginning of the end. This is the climactic point of the story. Now this word Jerusalem is very, very important in scripture. From a Jewish perspective, even to this day, Jerusalem is the city of peace. In fact, that Salem of Jerusalem is the same word, Shalom, and that's why it's called the city of peace. And it is understood in the Jewish perspective, and we, to some degree, would say as Christians as well, really the center of the earth, the whole cosmos is centered there because that's where God had his temple. That's where God met with his own people, where he had established. And so it's very, very significant for Jesus to be entering Jerusalem at this last week of his life. Now, when we pull back and look at Matthew a little bit more broadly, we see that not only are these last chapters all about Jerusalem and what happens there, but these particular three chapters of chapters 21, 22, and 23 are really uh, all centered particularly on highlighting something about Jerusalem as well. And I I'm going to put up on the screen there for you the last verses at the end of chapter 23. Let me read these for you. After a bunch of other stuff happens, Jesus says at the end of chapter 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and yet you were not willing. Now look, your house is left to you desolate for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, before we turn back to chapter 21, we heard it read, John read it for us already. Do you see the connections that are made there that kind of brings all these chapters together? The reference to the fact that Jerusalem is the place where the the Jewish people actually have often killed God's prophets, looking forward to what's going to happen to Jesus himself. And it's the place that he says now is going to be forsaken and desolate, exactly what happens when he goes into the temple, as we'll see here again in a few minutes and performs this prophetic action. And then did you notice those words in verse thirty nine again? that Does it sound familiar? That exact same phrase, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord. this This quote from Psalm eighteen is exactly what's going on back in our story as well. So The rest of the whole end of Matthew is gonna focus on Jerusalem, but it's particularly highlighted as we enter into this text today that there's very important that the city of peace, Jerusalem, is the final moment of Jesus' life. So let me turn back to our story now. And you can follow on the screen or if you wanna grab a Bible, you can as well. And our story is really broken into two parts and the longer of them is verses one to 11. I wanna start there. Let me read for you again what first happens Verse one, when Jesus drew near to Jerusalem and came to to the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her and untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and you'll send them at once. Now, these verses have always kind of struck me as funny and maybe it's too much Star Wars from my old days, but this always kind of sounds like a Jedi mind trick to me. Like, I'm not sure exactly what's happening here, but it's like, These are not the donkeys you're looking for. I'm I'm not sure what's happening here. If that doesn't mean anything to you, um, you've got your work cut out for you this afternoon. Go figure that out. But this is, we don't know exactly what's going on here historically. It's kind of mysterious. Was this planned beforehand or is this some kind of miracle? We don't know. But we do know what the significance of this is because that's what Matthew goes right on to say in the next verses. Let me read these next ones. He says, this, all this stuff that took place of getting the donkeys and bringing them to Jesus and preparing to go in, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. You see, Matthew explains that this whole scene, whatever's going on here exactly, it has a really clear purpose, which is that this is to fulfill what God had said was going to happen. And I'd like to suggest to you today that when you read through the whole of the Gospel of Matthew, that that word fulfillment is the single most important word in the whole book. Right from the very beginning of the book all the way through, Matthew's goal is to show us that Jesus, all the things he said and did and things that happened to him were all fulfillments of what God had done in the past. Everything from creation all the way up to the time of Jesus is understood in light of the fact, of of the things that Jesus said and did. So this word fulfillment is key. And so all throughout, he's been showing that. And so here at the end of Jesus' life, it's not surprising that we see another fulfillment quotation, another example of how what Jesus is saying and doing is the fulfillment of all that God has done in the past. And particularly that he is the king coming to them the king who was promised that there would be a son of David who would always be who would ultimately sit on the throne and rule over all the nations. And that reminds us that this city that he's entering into is not only called the city of peace, but another nickname is that it is the city of David. And I'd like to suggest to you that again, along this fulfillment theme from Matthew 1.1 all the way through, that Jesus as the son of David, the true king of the universe, the king of the world, has got to be at the very top of what our understanding of who Jesus is. That's what the very first verse of Matthew says, he is the son of David, son of Abraham. And this goes all the way through, but it's especially here at the very last week of Jesus' life that this theme of Jesus as the son of David becomes central again. And we saw it in verses six to nine, when they are praising him, he comes in on a, on a donkey and they're praising him. And what are they saying? They're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So our picture, Matthew's beginning to fill out here is that Jerusalem's very important. Jesus is the son of David. And then look at verses 10 to 12. I think there's one more important thing he wants us to get from this, that Jesus is also God's prophet. Let me read for you these verses again. And when he entered in Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up and said, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, here's an interesting question. Who are these crowds? These, I would suggest to you, are the crowds that are gathered around Jesus, the same ones that have been traveling with him that we see all earlier in the book that are believing in him, seeing his miracles, listening to the Sermon on the Mount, listening to his other instructions, following him. And we we need to recognize that Israel is, if you think about it from north to south, Galilee is up in the north. And this is where Jesus has been ministering. And all these people are now traveling with him down south into Jerusalem, going up in altitude, but down in latitude, down to where Jerusalem is. And I want you to think carefully about what's going on in the story, because I think it's really, really important for what this means for you and me. Usually when we think about Jesus' last life, you will hear last week of life, you will often hear people say and think about the amazing thing that these crowds praise him on this entry into Jerusalem, but then just a few days later, it's amazing how the crowds turn against him and say, crucify him. Well, there's some degree in which that's true, but I'd like to suggest to you that's not quite paying attention to what's going on historically in this story. You see, there are these large crowds, but these are the crowds with Jesus from Galilee, these northern, non-Judean, non-Jerusalem, religiously questionable, second-class Jewish hicks. That is, that's how the Jerusalemites think of them because you see, the Jerusalemites are the the Jews who think of themselves as the true ones. They're there with the temple, they're faithful, and those Galileans with a different accent, those are the flyover states, right? Those are the people way up in the north that are suspect and kind of revolutionary and troublemakers, right? And what's happening, I'd suggest to you, is that Really, this isn't about the triumphal entry. It's really about the triumphal approach or really the conflicted approach because what's happening is that all these crowds are coming with Jesus to Jerusalem. They're praising him. They're honoring him. They're worshiping him. And then when they get to Jerusalem, the response of the Jerusalemites is not, awesome, we're gonna trash all of our palm trees with you. This is great. We love this. You know, we're gonna make a mess of the things and heck, the Romans really mad at us. Awesome. No, that's not their response at all. Their response is, who is this? And it says the whole of Jerusalem was stirred up. They were upset, just like the very same language that was used back when the Magi appeared in chapter two and said, where is he who's born king of the Jews? It says all of Jerusalem was stirred up and upset. This is the same thing going on here. They're not happy that Jesus and all these Galileans are coming to town. They're mad. And the response is he's that prophet from Galilee, which is not a positive thing in their words. You see, the response of the Jews to Jerusalem is going to vary from apathy. A lot of them just think, oh, here's another Galilean prophet to some who are quite angry, obviously, but everyone is stirred up and affected by this amazing event. And so when they hear this Galilean prophet has arrived, they're thinking trouble. And even the Jerusalemites who may have been just apathetic and maybe ignorant about who Jesus was, most people probably had kind of heard of him, but they're usually apathetic. They're going on with their fine Jerusalem lives What Jesus says next makes it clear that no one can ignore what happens. So we often don't think of these stories together. Matthew shows us he enters in and what does he do? We'll look at verses 12 to 17. Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he enters the temple, that is the temple court area, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers, the seats of the one who sold, ones who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house should be called the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. He healed them, right there in front of everybody. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and they saw the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these people are saying? And he said, yes. Have you never read that out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you've prepared praise? And so leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. You see, when Jesus enters into the temple area, not the actual like altar or Holy of Holies, but the kind of the surrounding temple area where a lot of business goes on, it's like a large mile square wide area around the, the temple where the Jews were, you know, uh, selling things, enabling people to come who are traveling there to exchange their money for Jerusalem money and they take a tax on it. It's a very busy place. Well, when Jesus enters into this place, he does something that, again, even his disciples were probably totally shocked by. He begins kicking stuff over, overturning tables. It's like a heavy metal concert going on here in the Jerusalem temple, right? And he is making everyone mad, pigeons are flying everywhere, feathers, oy vey, these Galilean prophets. I mean, this is just craziness. I mean, it's absolutely violence and craziness. And why is he doing this? Well, Matthew tells us, he says himself that with a quote from Isaiah and Jeremiah, that he's doing this because they have made God's own temple, a place where all are welcome to come and pray and seek God. They've made it a place of business. They've made it a place of profit, where people are excluded and not a place of prayer. So what Jesus is doing here, you see, is exactly what they have said about him. Who is this man? He's the prophet. This is exactly what the prophets did in the Old Testament. Can you remember some of the stories from Isaiah or Jeremiah or others? They often acted out what God had told them to say whether it's lying down next to a little model of Jerusalem for three years or taking a jawbone and swinging it around, whatever it is, God tells the prophets to do some crazy things. So too, and even as we celebrate with the Lord's Supper, these are enacted parables. They're enacted pictures of what God is doing. And for Jesus to go into the temple and do this is speaking a very powerful word of judgment. Because you see, it it was a symbol in the sense that you know, he didn't go over the entire area. He probably would have been arrested and stopped by then. You know, after he goes by, they're, you know, mumbling. They pick their tables back up. They catch pigeons and they put them back in the, I mean, it all went back to normal Pick up coins that were knocked over. That, the point was not that this was permanent. The point was it was a powerful prophetic symbol that God is bringing judgment upon people who are stiff-necked and people who are not worshiping as they should. It's a very important act. And then in verse 14, we saw something more familiar. A bunch of people come to him, blind and lame. He heals them. We saw in verses 15 and 16, they are very mad at this. The Jewish leadership is. And they say, this is ridiculous. These foolish children think you're the Messiah. Aren't you going to stop them? And for the fifth time in this passage, he quotes the Old Testament, Psalm 8, and says, out of the mouth of babes. That is often the little ones know better than the supposed experts what's really going on. And with that, he leaves town. He'll come back the next day, but he leaves town. Quite a story, quite a rich story with a lot going on and a very, uh, not very calm story, very frenetic sort of activity. So, so what? What does this mean? Well, a big part of being a Christian is learning to submit ourselves to having our beliefs, our habits, our sensibilities, our loves, really our whole lives shaped by Holy Scripture. That's why when we gather on Sunday mornings, we preach from the Bible and we take what we do up here very seriously. Pastor Kevin works very hard, I work very hard, other people preach very work very hard to faithfully understand and then to faithfully apply this to our lives. But Part of the challenge of doing that is that when you're preaching to a very large congregation like this, it is inevitably an audience that is very mixed. Very mixed. It's mixed in a number of ways. Different stages of faith. Some of you here today are Totally new to Christianity and this church thing, and you're still just trying to figure out, you know, you turn the Bible upside down or whatever, it doesn't matter. Some people are just, you have no idea. This is your first time here, maybe. Some of you are long term, long time Christians, maybe even missionaries and pastors, even professors of religion. Some of you went to church as a child and now are just coming back and trying to figure out life, maybe trials that have come upon your life, or maybe you've had your own children and you realize, I need to kind of figure this thing out again. Some of us here today are numb and doubting, maybe thinking about leaving. Maybe today you came and said, I don't know if I've got anything left or I even believe in God anymore. This is it, I'm gonna go one more time. God, you gotta show up. Maybe that's where you are today. We have different stages of life. We have some elderly people, not enough in my opinion. I want to see more. We have newlyweds, we have newly divorced. We have teenagers. We have empty nesters, first-time parents, those struggling with infertility. We have those holding on, wondering how they're gonna survive with a, a whole bunch of children right now. We have different seasons of life. Some of us today are in a place of peace and joy. Some are in deep marital troubles or singleness trials. Some of you are entering into a new season of growth and freedom. Others are expecting or are facing unexpected crises all of a sudden, just maybe this week of health or work. Some are feeling satisfaction and honor in what you're doing. Others are facing misrepresentation and and opposition. All of this to say any group of people, especially one this large, is very mixed. And that's okay because God has something to say no matter where you are today. And as I pondered this and prayed for you and for myself and thought about what to say from this text, it struck me, that, you know, the people who originally experienced the first Palm Sunday events, these historical people, they were also a mixed crowd, a mixed crowd just as much as you and me. And and it struck me that, you know, I think we often have, I'll speak for myself, but I bet it's true for many of you as well. When we think about people in the Bible, we kind of don't think of them as kind of real people. Right, it's kind of like someone in a faraway land that we don't really know. That yeah, we know they exist, but they're not really personal to us. And I think when we think about the people of the Bible, we think, well, those people a long time ago, they didn't, they were kind of like cavemen or cave women or something. They weren't really real people, or they don't sort of connect with us. But I'd like to suggest to you that these Palm Sunday Jerusalemites, they were real, broken people living in a broken world, just like you and me with struggles and wounds, fears, hopes, desires, needs, emotional and relational and psychological. In fact, in this mixture of real people that experienced that first Palm Sunday, I think we see a lot of mixed reactions that are happening. Some of them explicit, I think some of them we can imply. For example, some were mad about what happened. Some were indignant that Jesus would do this. Some were indifferent, I'm sure. Uh, Who cares, another Galilean prophet. Some were uptight, this shouldn't be done. Some were skeptical and cynical. Some were filled with gratitude and praise. It's a very mixed crowd, just like our gathering this morning. And there are a thousand good things we could say from this text, but today I wanna just offer you one Two sided reality as a takeaway from what I think God is saying to all of us in this mixed crowd today. One message for all of us, and it has two parts again, two sides. One is that Jesus is being presented to us as a prophet and a king, and the second part of that is that this actually calls for a response. Jesus is presented as a prophet and king, and this calls for a response. Let me say a word about each of these. First, Jesus is presented to us in this story as really the perfect prophet and the perfectly compassionate king. He is both humble and a compassionate king and a fiery and powerful prophet. And it's really impossible to imagine a more perfect, balanced, beautiful juxtaposition of these these truths. You see, Jesus is shown to be a prophet, as we said. And in fact, he reveals and manifests God's righteous and just anger at those who are rebelling against him or those who are uh, abusing people and using religion to abuse others and make money off of it and and to not be faithful and be living a life that is showing mercy towards people. Jesus is, it plays the prophetic role that God has given him to say this is not right and it's powerful and, and scary even. And at the same time, not in a kind of weird way but in a beautiful way he is shown to be also the compassionate humble king he chooses to ride into jerusalem not on a mighty steed with a javelin calling people to arms but instead humbly on a donkey and he enters in and yes he has conflict but the people the blind and the lame come to him and he heals them he's not too good for them And friends, when you think about the way Jesus is depicted as this king, it is amazing all throughout the gospels. Because you see, people don't just respect Jesus. They don't just stand in awe of him because of his miracle working and his powerful teaching. They love him. They love him. And to be loved means you have to be a person who shows up with compassion and reality. And that's who Jesus is. He is not aloof he shows up with people with great compassion and love. And so people love him in response. So he is both this fiery prophet and this compassionate king. And that leads to the flip side of this. And what this means for us is that just like those people in Jesus' day, so too for us, this calls for and really evokes a response. It evokes a response. You remember how I began today saying, is Jesus... Did he come to bring peace or a sort of division? Well, the answer is that again, he did come to bring peace. He is the Prince of Peace and there's nowhere else, no one else for whom you will find peace that is abiding and deep regardless of your circumstances. But at the same time, as the true King of the universe, his very presence splits everyone into two groups. Those who receive him and those who do not, and there's nothing in between. Some people hate Jesus and they hate Christianity today. Nothing new, it was true in his own day. Many people, Jesus' day and today, are cynical and skeptical and aloof or indifferent. Either way, those are people that are the not accepting side. And then there's another group though, a group that receives him, and you see them in this text as well. You see them praising him and honoring him and loving him and worshiping him, giving him their allegiance, taking off their garments and putting them under his feet as a sign of their love and honor for the beauty of who he is. And notice that the difference between these two groups is not socioeconomic status or educational level or wealth or honor in society. Indeed, the Bible's clear that actually those things can often be a hindrance To responding correctly to Jesus, the difference is not cultural, but cardinal, at the level of the heart. What marks those who respond to Jesus and receive Him as prophet and king is really those who know their need for Him, the ones who find healing, the ones who are children, the ones who are humble. So as I conclude this today, I I just need to ask us, ask myself this week, where are you today? I think this text is presenting Jesus to us, even as he historically showed up in Jerusalem and presented himself to people. So too, 2000 years later on this Palm Sunday, God is presenting Jesus to us through this text and asking, what's your response? Maybe today, you know your brokenness and your need. You've known his healing and you need his healing. The response, and I would invite you to enter into praise then. Enter into honoring him, don't hold back. Enter into saying, blessed are you who come in the name of the Lord, you are my only hope in life. Enter into that with the fullness of joy. Maybe some today are indignant and mad about this text. I don't imagine there's probably a lot of us in this room that are in that case, but that could be the case. And if that's where you are today, I would say, pay attention to what's going on here. But I think probably knowing myself and knowing us, we live comfortable suburban lives here. I think probably many of us today might be in that kind of in-between category of maybe a little apathetic, maybe aloof maybe arms crossed, I'm not looking at anybody you your arms crossed, but uh, arms crossed, I did see you there, uh, but arms crossed, if not physically, at least emotionally. And I know why that happens, it's because you're wounded. Maybe somebody in the church, maybe your father, your mother, spouse, when we're wounded, we run, everyone does, we hide, we put on different masks, we've got 1200 different masks, in this church, but when we're wounded, we run and we hide. And one way that a lot of us hide is that we just kind of pull back, kind of have a wait-and-see semi-relationship with God and Jesus. Whether you're a teenager or in your 90s, we can all do this. And I just want to say, if that's where you are today, at the beginning of this holy week, whether you've never sought the Lord and trusted Him, or whether you have and you're just in a hard place right now where you feel aloof and skeptical, I just want to say to you, there's no joy there. Does not your heart long to be loved and to love and to give yourself fully to someone who's worthy of your worship? It does. Don't hold back. I invite you, this text invites us that skepticism, aloofness, They may feel good for a moment, friends, but there's no life there. There's no life. I invite you, respond to the presentation of Jesus. No matter where you are today, no matter what your past has been, respond even as we think about entering into this holy week where we are gonna be celebrating the change of human history at the resurrection of the Son of God next Sunday. This is the week, this is the day, this is the time to respond to this king who is entering and presenting himself before you. Don't be indignant, don't be aloof, but join the children who praise, who have found life and freedom. And even as we see Jesus performing this prophetic act, we take part of a symbolic act that is reminding us of what this week is gonna culminate in, that Jesus is going to give his body to be broken, so we're gonna break bread together. And we're gonna dip it in wine that represents his blood because this is where the gospel ends and begins a new beginning. The fact that Jesus gives himself in life and in death for us. And so if you're a Christian today, we invite you to come forward and in just a few minutes I'll pray, the musicians will come forward. Take some moment, look in your heart, maybe release your arms a little bit if you could. Open your heart to God no matter where you are and come and partake if you're a believer in this table of remembrance that looks forward. Let me pray for us.